0: If you would please, to Joshua chapter 1, Joshua chapter 1, and this evening we are beginning, uh, getting ready to start a study of the entire book of Joshua. Joshua, I hope most of you know, is the sixth book of the Old Testament. It's the first of the books called the historical books, the first of the division called the historical books, first five books, of course, are the Pentateuch. Those were books that were written by Moses. But Joshua begins the first of 12 historical books that we have in the Bible. Now, most of you know that uh, we're all aware that Moses is considered to be the, the greatest prophet that Israel had, the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. Moses was God's chosen man to lead Israel out of bondage in Egypt. But I suppose one of the saddest scenes that we have in all the Bible... Least as far as we would look at it, one of the saddest scenes in the Bible is when Moses was standing on top of Mount Nebo and he was looking over into the promised land and he couldn't go in and he couldn't lead the people in. But Moses did have a right hand man who could do that. His name was Joshua and he's the man we're going to be studying about and talking about all of his exploits over the next several weeks. God told Israel that they could possess the promised land, but he never said you're going to be able to just waltz right in, you'll be able to take the place over, it's going to be an easy job. God never said that. There were inhabitants already in the land, and those people had to be driven out. And they had to be gone before, or they had to be fought off and conquered before Israel could actually come into possession of that land. But what we're going to be studying here is the method by which These children of Israel got what God gave them, and we're going to use that to compare how that God gives us things when we follow uh, His commands and do what He asks us to do. So the next several weeks we'll be talking about that, the conquest of the land of Canaan and the man who led Israel in to conquer the land. Now if you would please, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Tonight we're looking at Joshua chapter 1. We're going to study the first nine verses of this first chapter. Joshua chapter 1, beginning with verse number 1. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast." There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou have good success. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Our heavenly fathers, we come to you tonight. I just ask you, Lord, that you would guide us as we study your word tonight. And Lord, may you fill our hearts with your presence. And Lord, give us the answers to life's questions here as we go through the struggle of this Christian life. Blessing this message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The last chapter of Deuteronomy tells us about the death of Moses. And then very abruptly, we come here in Joshua chapter 1, and we find that there is a new leader that's being introduced to God's people. Joshua was Moses' right-hand man. He was a minister to Moses. And he was a man who was the son of a man named Nun from the tribe of Ephraim. Probably sometime or another, someone is bound to ask you the question, who's the only person in the Bible who didn't have any parents? And the answer would be, of course, Joshua, the son of Nun... That's what the Bible says, but uh, that's, that's not my point tonight. But the Bible introduces us here to Joshua in uh, Exodus chapter 17, verse 9, and that's when Moses chose Joshua to be a soldier to fight against Amalek. And Joshua distinguished himself as a soldier. He fought against them, and he won that first battle, and he became a great leader in Israel. As I said, a Moses' right-hand man. One of the things that's interesting about the life of Joshua is that we find no major sin that's ever laid against him. We don't find any major mistakes that Joshua made, but throughout his life, he was just a servant that went right along just doing what God told him to do. And when he came down to the end of his life, he died as a good servant of the Lord, and his memory was kept alive in Israel, and and he was a good influence throughout his life and even in his death for many generations to come. The name Joshua in the Old Testament is the same name as Jesus in the New Testament. And the name means Jehovah is salvation. And when we think about what Joshua did, he was the one, in one sense, who who was a a, a deliverer of, of Israel to bring them into the land that God promised. He was a great commander and a great leader... And comparing the name Joshua to the name Jesus, we find out that Jesus is exactly the same. Jesus is a great commander, and Jesus will also lead us into the land that he's given us. And he'll fight against those forces of Satan, and we are sure of this. We will have the victory. He will destroy Satan forever. I want you to notice some things as we talk about Joshua tonight in the introduction to the book. That first of all, Joshua is the bridge to God's promises. Joshua has been called a bridge book because what it does, it connects these old-time promises that God gave to His people with the actual fulfillment of all of those promises. The first word in Joshua is the word now. In our King James Version, it's translated as now. And very well, it could have been translated as the word and... ...because the word that's used there has both meanings to it. And if we use the word and there, we understand much better... ...that Joshua is a continuation of God's word to Israel that came from Moses. And so though Moses had passed off the scene, still God was there. God's still leading, he's still directing... ...and he's, he's speaking to his new servant, Joshua. So God's revelation does not stop with Moses... God's still directing his people, and whatever that God says to Joshua is just as viable as the words that he gave to his servant Moses. I think that we can look at Joshua as a bridge book in three different ways. First of all, they were following a new leader, so it's a bridge of leadership. There's a continuity of leadership here. Joshua is the new man who leads Israel. I don't think that there would be too many men who would want to be in the unenviable position that Joshua Joshua's in. Because Joshua had to follow a very revered leader, a very famous man, one that we all know about. And the question might come up, how do you live up to that? I mean, how, how do you possibly distinguish yourself after following such a great man? And I believe that the facts of the matter are that if God had not chosen to include Joshua in the Old Testament canon... It's very likely that we never would have known anything at all about Joshua. We wouldn't have known of his exploits and what he did because he followed such a great man. There are few people who know anything at all, for instance, about John Adams. Of course, John Adams, of course, was the man who followed uh, George Washington as president. And Washington is known as the, as the father of our country, and we're, we're all very much aware of George Washington. But most people don't know anything at all about what John Adams did. Most people have probably never heard or don't know the name of Andrew Johnson. And Andrew Johnson was the president who followed Abraham Lincoln. But we concentrate on the great man, Abraham Lincoln. We don't think about Andrew Johnson. Anybody here know who Anthony Eden was? I'm not going to ask you because I don't want you to give me any... Go ahead. No. Oh, you're close. Yes, yes. Uh, Anthony Eden was the prime minister of Great Britain after Winston Churchill. How many people know the name of Anthony Eden? Well, this is usually what happens. A man who follows another great man is usually not very well known. So I think that including Joshua here uh, as a book in the Bible, this was God's way of making sure that Joshua is recognized for faithfulness. And we notice as we read those first five books of the Bible that all of the characters that are described there and very distinguished men and great men, there aren't any books named after those men. We don't have a book of Noah, and we don't have a book of Abraham. We don't have a book of Joseph. Don't even have a book of Moses. But here we have the book of Joshua. Joshua. And that's God's way of saying, again, that that he is going to honor this great man, this servant, and he doesn't want him to go unnoticed. So Joshua has this unenviable task of following the great revered leader. And what God had called Joshua to do was not an easy task. He has to take these people that have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, a tired people looking for this home, and he's got to take them in and fight against those fortified cities and the giants that are in the land of Canaan. And not only that, the people that he was leading, although they were involved in some battles prior to this, they certainly weren't known as great warriors and great soldiers. And so Joshua has this huge task, a very difficult task, of taking those people in to conquer the land. But we find the key to Joshua's leadership here in verse number 5. God speaks to him and says, There shall not any man... Be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. So God says to Joshua, I will be with thee. I'm not going to fail you. I'll never forsake you. Whenever you have a problem, whenever you have a need, you just call on me, and I'll be your God to help you with every problem that you have. And do you know that we have the very same promise today? When life is tough, when there are obstacles in the way, when we can't see the way out of the problems that we're in, we still have that same God who says to us, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I'll be here for you. All you have to do is call upon my name. And folks, we have to do the same thing that Joshua did. Nothing less and nothing more than what Joshua did. We just lean on the Lord and we just trust the Lord and we never go out in our own strength. That's what Joshua did. He never would have won that first battle. It would have been impossible for him to conquer Jericho if he hadn't relied upon the strength of the Lord to win the battle. And there are many battles to fight. And it's no mistake here that possessing the land of Canaan is the Bible's metaphor for the Christian life. There are battles that we have to fight in this life. The enemy is always out there. But as God was with Joshua, so he promises that he'll be with us. So Joshua is the bridge of leadership. There was a change here, and now they're following a new leader. But also we see they're going to a new land. The people are going into a new land. And this was the land that God had promised Abraham some 600 years before this time. Way back when, when Abraham still had the name Abram before God changed his name. Way back there when he was living in Ur of the Chaldees, God came to him and spoke to him. And in Genesis chapter 12, he said to Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. Abraham did what God requested, what God said. And so Abraham did go to the land of Canaan. But before Israel could actually become a great nation, they would have to spend all of those years down there in bondage in Egypt. Abraham's descendants were slaves in Egypt. But all the time that they were there, God had never forgotten the promise. God still intended, through all of that, to bring them to their permanent place of dwelling. And that was the promised land of Canaan. So all of those years... And most recently, these years of wilderness wanderings, all of that time, the promise had not yet been realized. But here they are. They're at the brink of entering the land of Canaan, and God tells them they will possess the land. And he says, it's because this is the land that I have given you. In verses 2 and 3, God said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all the people, unto the land which I do give them, even unto the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. And if you go on reading there, you remember that God set the boundaries there for them. He showed them what place on earth that they were to inhabit. And God said, this is your land. And I think that when God made them that promise, that he's also showing us something, that God has also made us a promise. He's going to bring us into a new land. There's an inheritance that God has promised for his people. Way back when God gave that promise to Abraham, Abraham looked for the earthly inheritance that God gave him. But Abraham knew much more than that because he knew also that God had given him a heavenly inheritance. If you read in the book of Hebrews, the writer says, By faith, speaking of Abraham, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him, with the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham knew enough that he was not to look for the material. He had his eyes and he had his hopes set upon that heavenly place. And later here, the writer of Hebrews says that those who die in faith are those who desire a better country, a heavenly country. And that is exactly what we're looking forward to. Doesn't the Bible say that the people of God are strangers here? We're sojourners here. We're just passing through. The world is not our home. And that's surely what we're looking for. The place that God has promised us, and that's a heavenly land. Oh, we know that there are battles to fight here Oh, there's people in the congregation right now. I know you're going through tough times, some of you. There's some hard things in your life. There's sicknesses and all these kinds of things that you face. But don't give hope. Don't give up hope because the Bible tells us God's going to bring us into that better land. He has a promise for us. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 1, Paul wrote, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, that means this body, we have a building of God, A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. I know that you don't have any doubt that I love the book of Ephesians. And Paul addresses this subject in Ephesians chapter 1. He says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him, who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ." So Joshua, the name means Jehovah is salvation. And Joshua is a bridge to a new land for Israel. Jesus is Jehovah God. And he's our bridge from this earth into the glories of heaven. There's a song that says that heaven built a bridge. It says heaven built a bridge with three rusty nails and two pieces of wood. Heaven built a bridge. And Israel was going to a new land And we're also going to a new land. Now, thirdly, we see here that they were worshiping the same Lord. I said a moment ago that verse number 1 begins with the word and, and that's a bridge for the word of God. Word of God to Moses, and then the word of God to Joshua. Look at verse number 8 of our text. We're going to talk about this a little bit more later. But God says in verse number 8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou have good success. There wasn't much of the word of God that had been written at the time of Joshua. He only had those five books of the Pentateuch that Moses wrote. But in those books, God had described exactly who he was. And God says, here's what I require... And so he said to Joshua, what I want you to do is to stay in that book. Stay in this book. There's a change of leadership. There's a change in the land that they're going to. But folks, there is no change at all in the God that they served. It is the same God. And God's purpose has ever remained the same. From the very time that he created this world, even before the foundation of the world, the Bible says that God had a plan and a purpose. He had an elect chosen people that he was going to bring into a special place. And God's purpose without fail is that he will bring those people to the place that he's prepared for them. So there's never any change in God. And I want to remind you also that there's never any change in God's word. We still serve the same God of the Word, and we still worship the same God of the Word, the same Word that was given to Joshua. Oh, don't you know, today there are all kinds of efforts to change the Word of God, and people will tell us today that God's Word is antiquated. You can't pay attention to God's Word anymore. It's passe. It's out of date. It's not practical for people today. But God's Word is ever the same. God's Word never changes. It's our guidebook. It's the way that we get from here to there. And we won't go any other way except by the way that the Word of God says. Someone has very aptly ascribed an acrostic to the word Bible. We've used it before. What does Bible mean? Basic instructions before leaving earth. That's what the Bible is. So we still worship the same God of this Bible that that Joshua worshiped. He never changes And I would warn any person who thinks that all this is outdated and there's other ways that we can get to heaven. There's other ways that we can get to God. No, folks, there isn't. There's only one way that you ever get to God. God has never changed on this. You don't go to God on your terms just because you think there's another way to get there. God only has one set of terms, and that's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, nobody is going to get to the Father unless they come through me. In John chapter 10, verse 1, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, is a thief and a robber. He does not come by that door into the sheepfold. And what did Jesus say about himself? He said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and he shall go in and out and find pasture. And that's exactly what Israel was looking for. They were looking for the door by which they could find pasture. And that's what we do when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the door by which we find pasture. The place where we find that, that, that time of rest. Israel was looking for it in the land of milk and honey, in the land of Canaan. But we're going to go to a place where God's promise for us And everybody in here tonight, if we're going there, we're going to go exactly the same way as all the saints before us have ever done and ever gone. We have to go the same way they did because God is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. So Joshua is a bridge to God's promises. He's a bridge of leadership, a bridge to a new land. He's a bridge of continuation of God's word And when we compare that to Jesus, we find out that Jesus is also the bridge of leadership. We follow Him and Him alone. There's no other one to follow. He's the bridge to our new heavenly home, to the land that we're going to. And Jesus Christ Himself is the living Word of God sent down from heaven. Heaven built a bridge, and His name is Jesus Christ. Now, I want to go on here to the second part of the message now. We see the bridge to God's promises, and next we see the basics for our prosperity. Right here in these scriptures, we find some very basic information about how we can be prosperous in life. God has laid down the ground rules. He says, this is the way you do it. If you want to get what I gave, then here's the way that you have to do it. Well, there's a promise of a new land, and that was renewed to Joshua in verse number 2. God says to Joshua, you go get it. You go in there and you possess the land that I've given you. And then he said, here's how I want you to do it. I'm not serving it up to you on a silver platter. You're going to have to fight for this land. You're going to have to be diligent. You'll have to be faithful if you're going to possess it. And don't we find that's true in the Christian life? If you're going to live for God, you've got to be diligent. You have to be faithful. You've got to fight in this life. You can't quit. You've got to keep going on. And so God gives us the very things that we need right here for our prosperity. Now, the first thing that he said to Joshua, you've got to have courage for your morale. And we need it, courage for our morale. God's people can't go into the fight whimpering and complaining and afraid that that we're not going to make it. You know a remarkable thing about Joshua? He was one of those 12 spies that Moses sent out to spy the land of Canaan. Did you know that Israel, very soon after they left Egypt, they came right up to the brink of the promised land? They were right there, ready to go in. Moses sent 12 spies over into the land to spy out the land, to see what's there. What are we facing? And those spies came back and they said, there's giants in that there land. There's fortified cities over there. We can't go in there. It's an impossible task. We can't do it. It's what 10 of the spies said. But there are two of those spies who had a different opinion. One of them was Caleb. We're going to talk about him a little bit later in our study in another lesson. But Caleb was one and Joshua was the other one. Two of the spies saw everything that the other spies said and they said, we be well able to possess this land. Let's don't wait any longer, Moses. Let's go right now and let's go get it. Well, you know the story. Moses gave in to the other ten and so they didn't go in to possess the land. Folks, that's what we're facing today. People with the same kinds of ideas. But look what verse number 6 says. Three times God talks about courage. Be strong and of a good courage. Verse 7, only that thou be strong and very courageous. Verse number 9, have not I commanded thee? Be strong and have a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. Now going into that land and possessing the land of Canaan, that would be tough unmistakably, this is a hard thing to do. Times of discouragement would come. There would be times when they'd start thinking about this dawning task that they have, and they're going to wonder, how are we going to do it? It looks impossible. There's no way, and it becomes depressing to them. You remember shortly after uh, they defeated Jericho that they lost the next battle? They lost the battle of Ai. Ai. And they became very depressed about that, but God would not let them stay there. God says, don't be afraid and don't be dismayed. Well, how could they do it? What's the secret to that? How can they have courage? Well, the end of verse number 9 tells us exactly how. It says, the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Listen to what David says in Psalm 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Almighty... "...of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust." You'll never conquer your enemies with a timid, fearful approach. And God demands the very same courage from us today. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, the Scripture says, "...Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might." Oh, churches today are filled with people with the can't-do attitude. We can't do it. There's, it's too hard. It's impossible. And at the first sign of trouble. They get worried about it. They get depressed. Remember this, folks. We still serve the same God. It's still the same God. Not one of us has ever faced a physical enemy like Joshua faced. And yet God conquered his enemy and I can promise you this tonight. When you rely upon the Lord, he will conquer your enemies because he is the same God. First Corinthians 16:13 says, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit ye like men, be strong. So that's what we have to have. We've got to have courage for our morale. The next thing we have to do is we have to have conviction from our manual. And what's the manual for a Christian? You know what? It's the Bible. Where do you find prosperity? Look at verse number 8 again. The book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou have good success. Now we notice there that the way that God puts this to Joshua, I think that there's a presupposition here that Joshua already knows God's word. Joshua is already familiar with what God is saying. And so God's not saying to Joshua, you know something, Joshua, you've been lax in this area. You've let down. You haven't been reading the word like you should. And now you've got to go back and start reading the word again. I don't think that's what he's saying at all. What he's saying to Joshua is you continue what you've done. Because I don't think if, if Joshua had not been a man of the word, he never would have said way back there in the first 40 years, we can possess the land. He never would have said that. Joshua... Uh, Joshua wouldn't have been promised to to make it all the way from from Egypt to Israel, which no one else but he and Caleb were able to do. All the rest perish in the wilderness. He was already a man of the word. Now, what I think here is God is giving a deterrent here, a deterrent to the temptation that so many people have. And that is when you put somebody in the place of leadership, people start to feel a little bit too big for their britches. And they start to think, I'm the one who's important. I'm now above the law. I'm above everybody else. And if you look at it today, how many preachers in our independent churches become the Lord of the church themselves? And what they say is what goes. God says, I don't want anyone of that, anything like that. How many preachers do this? They make their own demands, they puff up themselves because they've got this position now. But God says to Joshua, you stay in the word. Don't depart from my laws and my precepts. You do not have the right to substitute what I say with what you say. God's word's the convicting guide. And what is God's word? It's the light to light your path. It shows you the way. And you know something else the word of God does? Whenever you start to veer off the path, the word of God has this quality. It sticks you right in the ribs And it tells you that's the wrong way to go. That's the purpose of the Word of God. That's why we've got to stay in it. It keeps us on the right path. And God says, as long as you stay in the Word, you will have good success. And then, not only this, but also, we need to have confession from our mouths. It said, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. You know what that means? It means that in every activity, in all the way that you talk... God's Word needs to be a part of the way you talk. You know this? Most people will be very tolerant of your religion if you keep your religion in its place. If you want to talk about God, then you talk about God where God's supposed to be talked about. In the church. Keep it there. And if you try to take God outside of the church, and try to speak the Word of God in another place, then people are not going to be tolerant And the only way they will be tolerant is if you use God's name in vain. If you use his name as a curse word, that's just fine with them. But try to speak God's word in the way you should and people aren't very tolerant of that. I read something interesting the other day from the Christian Law Association about public prayer. Do you know there are some people who think now that it is against the law to mention the name of Jesus in public prayer? And have you noticed the public prayers that that our leaders are praying today? They are just so generic that you could worship a God on the backside of the moon and you wouldn't feel uncomfortable at all about the kind of prayers that they offer today. I think that's a shame against God. There's no law that says we can't pray in the name of Jesus. There's no law in the books that says that. And I think it's a sorry Christian, it's a sorry leader who will stand up and bow down because or uh, bow down to this whole thing. They're afraid of offending Allah, afraid of offending Buddha, and afraid, afraid of offending Krishna, whoever it may be. What we need to do, folks, is stand up for the name of God. If we don't mention the name of Jesus, that means that we're ashamed of him. Stand up for Jehovah God. That's what he wants us to do. And then also let me say this, that if you spend any length of time talking to someone, somewhere, somehow, God ought to figure into your conversations. There ought to be some kind of reference that people know what you believe, that you, you are a Christian. And if you can't mention God in everyday conversation, there's something wrong with you. Now, I, I don't mean that you have to run everybody down with a soul-winning presentation. I'm not talking about that. And I'm not saying at all that every conversation has to start out with the Roman's road. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that the flavor of your speech, the way that you talk, is an indication that you are a believer. When you speak, there's no off-color things there. When you talk, there's a positive tone in your attitude. And folks, there's nothing wrong at all with slipping in a praise God every now and then if you want to. You know, I think about this. I talk to Jost. I can't go five minutes without talking to that man. Somewhere, he doesn't figure out how to get praise God in there. Thank the Lord for that. That's the kind of attitude that we need to have. What else do we need for our success? The fourth thing is we need is consistency in our manner. And there's only one way to be consistent in our ways with God, and that's to do everything he says to do. God says in verse number eight, that thou mayest observe to do according all that is written therein. and in, in other words, every single command that's in the word of God is a command to be obeyed. Not obeyed when you feel like it. Or obeyed if you think it applies to somebody else or applies to me or not to somebody else. No, up, uh, every single command of God's word. Obey without interruption. Now, Matthew Henry has an interesting note here. He says, if ever any man's business might have excused him from meditation and other acts of devotion, one would think Joshua's might at this time. What he means is, here's Joshua. He's got this formidable task that God has put him to do. And he is concerned about this. He's thinking about this. He's got to figure out how he's going to do it. At least at this point, he thinks he does. And, and how does he have time to meditate about God? And you know, Christians ask the same question. Oh, I'm so busy at work. I've got something to do every night this week. I've got all these things piled up here I can't possibly get to. How can I think about God? When do I have time to meditate on God? You know what God says? That's no excuse. Because God has to come first. You have to think about him first. He said, God's word, meditate on this and do it. You know, it's an amazing thing. We have all these churches out here today and Christians are having a hard time trying to figure out how to live the Christian life. Why is that? I don't think it's because there's not enough information out there. We know how to live as Christians. The simple truth of the matter is we just don't want to do it. We haven't decided that we're just going to do it. And that's what God's Word says. Don't turn from the right hand to the left. You stay in the Word. You stay right down to the middle. Don't waver from it. Obey all that I say. Now, do you wonder why we have so much trouble today? If you wonder why you have so much trouble, just start relating it to how much time you spend in the Word. You want to know how much trouble you have in your life? Start relating it to how much time that you spend in God's Word. Here's what you find out. Even if I am in trouble, when you stay in God's Word, trouble is not troublesome. Do you hear me? Trouble is not troublesome when you stay in God's Word. That's what you've got to do. Stay in it. So when you get right down to it here, what is the secret of success? Nothing more and nothing less than what God says right here. When it comes to the Bible, don't turn to the right hand or to the left. Stay right down the middle on the direct path of righteousness. And the Bible says, then thou shalt have good success. So why are we always doing this? We're always trying something different that we think is a better way, that we're just sure it's going to work. Why do we do that when this old tried-and-true method has always worked? Why try to do something new? Only God's way will work. Well, how do we get what God gave? It's the path of obedience. And the obedience is to God's written word. Now, this should be apparent to you if you've listened closely tonight. My closing statement on your listening sheet, the closing point. The bridge is the continuity of the Word. The continuity of blessings in this life into the place that God has promised for us is the Word. Now, if you continue on down to the end of Joshua's life, you'll find out that the instructions never changed. In the end of his life, he was still... Very much concerned about continuity. And so do you know what Joshua did? He instructed the people in the very same way that he was instructed. In chapter 23, all the way towards the end of the book, chapter 23, verse number 6, Joshua said to the people, Be ye therefore very courageous. Isn't that what God said to him? Be courageous? He said, to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses... Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Isn't that what God told Joshua? That he turn not aside, therefrom, to the right hand or to the left. Exactly what God told Joshua those many years before. Now, folks, here's what we find. In one sense, we could say that Joshua was no more a gifted leader than many other leaders. Joshua was no more a gifted commander than many other commanders. But what Joshua did, he paid attention to God's word. He listened to what God said to him, and he did exactly what God said to do. And I suppose that the reason that God recognized him, when he could have been obscured by the fame of Moses and we might never know about him, I think the very reason that God recognized him because Joshua was not a man who was trying to make a name for himself, he wasn't out there to promote Joshua. He just kept on day after day, consistency, consistency, plodding along, plodding along, going along, taking those steps in exactly the path that God told him to walk in. There was consistency in his manner of life. Now, here's the thing. One commentator summed it up perfectly. He said, that is what we need today. Not increasingly clever methods, still less increasingly clever people but obedience informed and motivated by the living, abiding Word of God. Folks, that's what we're still trying to teach here at Berean Baptist Church. We just want to stay in the Word. From 3,500 years back to the time of Joshua to the time today, things have not changed. The secret to success is still to stay in the Word of God and to obey its precepts. The Word of God is the bridge to our prosperity. And friends, let me tell you, God's word is the way that we're going to get from here up there. It'll only be God's way and by God's word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the time we spend together tonight. We ask you, Lord, to take this word, to be encouragement to our people. Help us, Lord, that we might stay in your way, never turning to the right hand or to the left, always trusting in you. We know you're the great God who never changes. Your ways will always work. We just have to depend upon you. Help us to do that as a church, as individuals, Lord, to lean on you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's please. Stand.